Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello everyone and welcome back to a brand new DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you're all doing well. Thank you once again for being here, inviting us into your lives for a bit of F1 chat and discussion as we now head to the latest installment of the Formula One 2023 World Championship in Montreal, Canada. After a small interlow, I am very much looking forward to getting back to the action. As always, we are joined by the DNF1 panel for all of our race reviews and previews. We've got Courtney Pine and Lee Wallington. And of course, don't forget guys, if you're watching this on YouTube, don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel if you are new. And of course, if you're listening to the show on your favorite audio podcasting platform, don't forget to leave us a nice five-star review. It really, really helps us out. I know we keep going on about this, and I know you guys are probably fed up of me asking for your continuous support, but it really does help us. So if you can, leave us a five-star review. It really does help us. So thank you very much to everyone that has chosen to support us thus far and everyone that will continue to do so in the future. Of course, Courtney, let's come to you first. Of course, a big, big week of sport for you. Are you looking forward to F1 returning to the Canadian Grand Prix? Yeah, I always enjoy um, the Canadian Grand Prix. It's up there with uh, one of my favourite Grand Prix of the season. But I'm a little bit disappointed. The old uh, the old technology demons got me again. I was going to segue my intro with the West Ham on Mass Chant. Got the European success. I think I'm pointing in the right direction. There we go. Yeah, there you go. At the part of the flag. 50-50. It's there, it's, it's, there, <laughs> it's, it's there somewhere behind the sunlight. That's so persistent coming into my room. But yeah, fantastic. What a fantastic week to be a West Ham fan for once. So yeah, I thought I was going to segue in with West Ham. Is West Ham a massive chant? And yeah, the, the technology demons have spoiled my fun once again. Well, I'm sure many of our listeners that aren't necessarily West Ham fans will be grateful that a rendition of West Ham and Massive aren't going to... I'm grateful. Yeah, I think I think myself included, Lee, you know, why not? I think we can skip that part entirely. We'll just say, well done, congratulations, and uh, we move on with the F1 stuff. I'm sure many people will be happy for that. Lee, let's come to you, of course. How are you doing, mate? Are you looking forward to the F1 coming back this weekend? Yeah, I'm good. I'm looking forward to it. It's the... Uh... The anomaly of what is normally called the European leg of the season, and it's sticking Canada, which I don't know if the uh, FIA don't really know the geography or they just like, bit hey, concerning, isn't it? <laughs> we're just going to put Canada <laughs> in this part. It's something that's never understood, but I thoroughly enjoy the the, the racing and the circuit. So um, I'm looking forward to uh, this weekend. Maybe it's a bit of a cop out. They might just uh, approach it as the French Grand Prix or the de facto French Grand Prix for the season mm. in that part of Canada, of course. So, uh, yeah, bon chance to those. Uh, assuming that's right in French. I don't know. Oh, but you butchered it. I probably haven't. I feel like it's something. It's probably like good luck. I think that's what it means. But uh, anyway, look, that's as far as I go when it comes to French anyway. So uh, let's move swiftly along with that. And. I think there's plenty of news topics that we can discuss in this preview, in addition to the predictions that we will do later on in the episode. For those of you unfamiliar with how we do things on the show now, we discuss a lot of the talking points heading into this weekend's Grand Prix, and we give our predictions on specific categories, which we encourage you to join in as well. Let us know in the comments section if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're not watching this on YouTube, get on the YouTube channel after you're done listening to this on your audio platform. Let us know your predictions. We really want to know what you guys think is going to go down this weekend, whether you agree with us or not. Absolutely fine. So first topic of discussion that we've seen, and there's been a lot of news, it must be said, but I think the most important is the future of Sir Lewis Hamilton. 
Now, this has been doing the rounds for some time this season. The question has been asked as Sir Lewis Hamilton's contract is up at the end of the season. Will he renew with Mercedes? Will he retire? Will he join another team? There have been rumours about Ferrari potentially approaching that. And uh, for those of you watching this on YouTube, uh, sir, a moment I'm going to leave in. Perfectly appropriate, given what we talked about earlier, but uh, never mind, Colt. Anyway, look, moving along. (laughs) For those of you listening to this and not knowing what we're talking about, just as I was about to introduce the first topic, the flag in the background on Courtney's screen just completely fell to the wayside. So no more West Ham is massive. They've completely filtered out. So never mind, mate. Anyway, Hamilton. Let's talk about him. I'm sure people are much more interested in that. Hamilton's future right now is, at the moment, on a bit of a knife edge. As I said, there have been some contract talks going on. We know that Mercedes and Hamilton are looking to extend and continue. And the first topic of discussion, or the first question, I have to say, what are your thoughts on the Toto Wolff interview with CNBC regarding Sir Lewis Hamilton's contract extension? Do you expect Sir Lewis Hamilton to sign a new Mercedes deal? And if so, when? Now, for a bit of context, as we were saying already, we know about the Hamilton rumours. There was an interview that Total Wolf did recently with CNBC, and it was picked up by Formula.uno, and you'll be able to see screenshots of what went down or what was said on the screen if you're watching this on YouTube. And Total Wolf had explained that a new contract between Hamilton and Mercedes is now close to being signed as rumors about negotiations continue into the Canadian Grand Prix weekend. Speaking in an interview with CNBC, Total Wolf shed some light on the state of his negotiations with Lewis Hamilton. We are still talking, you know, we get this question basically every weekend. We have such a good relationship that we dread the moment we have to talk about money. It's going to happen soon. I think we're talking more days than weeks. But if I commit to a date now, then everyone is doing to ask in Montreal on the weekend. Him and me joined in 2013 together. Ten years it's been. And from a professional racing relationship, we've gone to a friendship. It's been a wonderful time. He is the most important personality in the sport. He's so multifaceted. Not only the racing, but also off track. We need to keep him in the sport as long as possible. So Courtney Lee... He wants to go at this one first. Are we surprised to hear that a potential agreement and contract signing between Hamilton and Mercedes is so close? And if I could put the question to you guys, when do you expect an announcement to come? Um, I think we should make the Lewis Hamilton contract negotiations and rumours. I really think we should make that a part of the year. So obviously, you know, you have New Year's Day and you have Easter, Christmas. I think we should segue in. You're going to have your... Your links with Ferrari around May time, and then you have the contract negotiations in a couple of weeks after that, and then we'll get the announcement. I feel like since we've been doing this podcast, we've been talking through the same things every single year, so they might as well just make it a part of the tradition. But no, I do. I, I think I think it will be announced in a couple of weeks' time. It wouldn't surprise me if they, at the very latest, they left it for the British Grand Prix. But they know that the longer they leave it the longer the rumours, you know, circulate. And at a time when Mercedes really want to sort of hit the ground running, get back in recovery mode, but the last thing they want is the uh, rumours and speculation unsettling the team. So I think this is why they're rushing to get the deal done as soon as possible. Yeah, I I think so too. I mean, Lee, based on what Courtney just said, are, are you surprised that once again, you know, we were here a couple of years ago with Hamilton, will he, won't he? And of course, famously in 2021, after what went down in Abu Dhabi, there were serious concerns that Hamilton had had enough and that he was just going to leave. And that was it. And of course, as it were, he came back with that photo of him. What was it? The Grand Canyon he was standing, um, saying that he'd been away for a while, but now he's back. Then he signed that new deal, stayed on for a couple of years. Are, are you surprised? that once again we're in the final year of Hamilton's contract and you know the questions are coming around and and all of a sudden we've got to a point now where it looks like he's going to be staying on perhaps a bit sooner than we imagined it would be I, I mean I'm not surprised um you you see it with drivers through or at least in recent memory that they they normally retire at certain points they retire on the higher like Nico or they retire when they're not enjoying it or there's that right time, like Sebastian Vettel, Kimi, 
or you get kicked out um and you <laughs> you know it's not your choice you don't get your donut at, um the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix that's it you're you're gone it's only the people that are retiring um they get their donut um I'm sure it's not like that you're not supposed to donut at all if the um according to the the rule book but um the drivers still do it I really want the donut now, not just the actual <laughs> car donut. I'm actually hungry for one. So uh... sorry, <laughs> um, but L- Lewis, obviously, however your your thoughts on the what happened in 21, um, he had a, an impact in his mental state, and he even admitted that, and he had to find that focus. But he's obviously found that hunger again. A driver that's won it all in Formula One, so you could easily gone, yeah, I've won it all. But he's decided he's not. He wasn't going to walk away, and he wants that eighth title. If he gets the eighth title, it's a different matter. But he's got that fire and that drive again in him again to get that eighth title. So it's not a surprise that he the, the negotiations are ongoing. He's not um, diminishing, and unfortunately, Sebastian. I'm going to use him as an example. Spinning around all the time, um, or Kimi, like uh, this is just a a walk in the park. It's my hobby. It, Lewis is at it. At it. It's. So this is not a surprise at all that the, the discussions to extend the contract are ongoing. It's just really the matter of length of that contract. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, of course, we all remember what Kimmy was like. It was just pure vibes for a few seasons until eventually he was done with F1. I suppose what surprised me, I guess, is the timing of this because... Look, I I expected Sir Lewis Hamilton to stay in Formula 1 beyond his current contract. I still feel that there is always a desire for him to retain his services in the sport for the next few years, purely and simply because I think he wants to stick around and hope that there is an opportunity to win an eighth world title. I've said this plenty of times already. I genuinely believe if Hamilton had won in 2021 and was an eight-time world champion, that would have been it. He would have finished it then. There's no other reason for him to stick around. And I don't think personally, despite the fact that this is a man that's repeatedly said he's not interested in the records, I just don't see a scenario where he would have stuck around if he'd have won an eighth world title. Uh, In a weird sadistic way, I think what happened in Abu Dhabi, as far as Hamilton fans are concerned, obviously it was an atrocity, but at the same time, I think it's what's kept him in the sport. You know, that, that kind of redemption element to it. And and the reason why I think it's a bit of a surprise why the timing of this news report from Total Wolf, even though we were probably expecting for some time, is there were serious doubts in the last year and a half as to whether or not Mercedes are capable of producing a car good enough for Hamilton to win a world championship again. Because ultimately, that's what he wants to do. That's why he's still there. I still think he's driving at a level more than good enough to be a world champion again if he has the car capable of that. I don't think there's any doubt in that in my mind. But of course, there have been concerns over the last year and a half. You know, the back and forth with Hamilton saying that he wasn't listened to regarding this Mercedes car and the concept wasn't working and and Total Wolf was saying that if he doesn't feel confident being here, perhaps he should look elsewhere if we can't provide a car for him. And it's interesting that now, despite there being a positive relationship between the two that we felt an agreement would come at some point that as soon as Mercedes starts to show some upturn in form and the car is getting a bit better, this new story comes out. Now I'm not suggesting Hamilton's waiting around until the car is good again, but I think it's encouraging that what he is starting to see and what Mercedes are starting to produce is better than perhaps what he thought Mercedes would have been capable of a few months ago. And this is a guy that deals with his own contract stuff as well. So he's very much invested with everything that's going on right now. So it does seem like good news. It is rather interesting as a news story that Hamilton's going to stick around for a few more years yet. Could this turn into the fairy tale story he wants? Maybe. But all signs are pointing in the right direction. So that's always a good thing. Yeah, like, I, I do believe that if Mercedes were to sort of um, fall into the pit, sorry, Adam, if if they were falling into the pit the way Ferrari have, where they continue to fail year in, year out, I do think Lewis would get bored and uh, leave the sport altogether. I think there's only so much orange smoke the guy can inhale before he has enough and uh, and leave. And also, um, a little bit lighthearted, don't take this too seriously. I think it's also from a, you know, from a financial perspective, 
it's always good for him to do these uh, yearly contract negotiations because he can ask for a pay rise um, with the uh, rate of inflation, which we all know was uh, quite astronomical this year. So he'll want to be uh, in line with the uh, rate of inflation. So it's a win-win situation for Lewis. And please don't take that last one too seriously. Jeez, I'll have the mob after me. Uh, well, I'm sure you know a state pension will only take you so far these days so uh yeah he's got to look after himself old uh lewis to make sure that he's got enough in the bank to uh keep him going after he's done with formula one but but i think you're right um you know dealing with these contract situations isn't always easy he's very much involved in them so they can take time i know ideally they'd want the drivers to sign a longer contract or you know get these things sorted out much sooner than they actually do but you know that's the way things are with f1 but i think it's all good news let us know your thoughts in the comments, guys, if you're listening to this on the news regarding Hamilton's contract. Looks like we might get a resolution to that pretty soon. I wouldn't be surprised if we got confirmation at the Canadian Grand Prix weekend that something is signed. But Courtney, as you said, I think the British Grand Prix is probably more realistic. So we'll wait and see. As a segue into our next discussion topic, I think it's quite appropriate to talk continuously about Mercedes as the next point. And... As we know, Mercedes showed quite a huge upturn in form with the new upgrades that they introduced at Monaco. They were pretty decent there. They were much more impressive at Barcelona. So will Mercedes continue to be Red Bull's biggest threat in Canada, as it was in Barcelona? Or will Aston Martin and Ferrari be best of the rest in Montreal? It's going to be intriguing. Uh, you know, we, we, all, we all enjoy Barcelona because, you know, the teams bring a raft of upgrades and sometimes we could see a change in the pecking order. But now we're going to Montreal where, you know, we, we know that Barcelona is like a really sort of classic style track and Montreal has some street circuit elements to it. It's going to be interesting, not only with Mercedes, but it's also going to be interesting to see how their closer rivals, as you've already mentioned, Ferrari and Aston Martin, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting in the next couple of races to see how these upgrades work on different types of circuits. And then we'll be able to paint a real picture of who is where by the time we get to, you know, um, British Grand Prix, maybe Hungary. And then we'll get a real sense. We all know that Red Bull is going to run away with it. I wouldn't be surprised if they won every single race this season. I think we've said this many times. But behind that, I still feel there's plenty of intrigue with the Mercedes, Ferrari and Aston Martin battle. Yeah, I would agree with you there, Courtney. Um, I, I do think it's very intriguing. Um, with the Mercedes update, so obviously when they introduced it in Monaco, it wasn't ideal. So they went a bit blind into Barcelona. But now they've got the nice testing circuit out the way. They've had a couple of weeks to go through that data. Can you, you imagine? Um, remember the, the gains they made through the weekend in Barcelona? They were nowhere on Friday. Yeah. So they dialed in as they understood the updates. And now they understood the updates a bit more to get to where they were on for qualifying and race day. And they've had two weeks to go through that information. So I really expect them to be um, up there. However, there was also, you could argue, it was, um, could be um, circuit dependent, but it was also weather dependent. The track was a lot cooler over the weekend than it was on the Friday, which obviously favoured the Mercedes. Um, so it is a lot to see, but I should also mention that there's a, a percentage of wet qualifying. Um, so that could hinder that. Don't know. It's a, uh, it will just make it even more variable. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, looking at the upgrades of Mercedes, Ferrari's upgrades as well, and, and Aston Martin, what they were able to bring, it was a circuit that I was expecting Mercedes to be strong at anyway. We saw this last year. Mercedes was surprisingly much more competitive at the Spanish Grand Prix in 2022. I think at one point, a lot of people thought that this was a turning point for this Mercedes concept and that they were going to go on and win some more Grand Prix and perhaps challenge Red Bull and Ferrari for the top honours on a regular basis. It never really materialised like that. There were moments where they were snapping at heels and, of course, Russell's brilliant job at Brazil that weekend where Hamilton could have easily won that weekend for the same reasons. It never really came to fruition to the level they'd hoped. So I'm not saying that's going to happen again and Mercedes are going to fall back. I, I just think that 
whilst I do believe that they're in a much better position than Ferrari are, for example, I don't think we can write off Aston Martin just yet. And at the same time, this was a circuit that very much played more to Mercedes strengths, a lot of high mid-speed corners. We know the Aston Martin's brilliant at the slower corners. We know the Ferrari is pretty handy at the slower corners as well. We're going to see a lot of that in Canada. So I think if Mercedes are strong in Canada and perhaps Austria as well coming up soon, then I think they're in a great position to establish themselves as the best of the rest. And quite frankly, it's where they deserve to be based on what we've seen this season. Hamilton and Russell equally have been very, very good. They've been very efficient with the equipment they've had available to them, much more than Aston Martin and Ferrari have by contrast with their drivers at least. So yeah, things are looking up. Best of the rest, I think, is probably the best we can hope for. I I don't expect, unless something crazy happens with Red Bull, that anyone's going to get anywhere near them. I don't want us to get carried away and say, oh, here we go, Mercedes, Red Bull are going to fight again. (laughs) No, let's be real. Unless something mad happens with Red Bull and Max Verstappen in particular, I can't see anyone stopping them this weekend either. It is what it is right now. Yeah, I just want to go back to the... The uh, 2022 uh, point, it's, it's it's definitely a good point. We've all, we all agree that Spain is usually um, a good track for Mercedes. But I think the difference between last year and, and this year is even at Spain last year, the Mercedes was still struggling with the porpoising, the, the aggressive porpoising. And, and, and I feel that was one of the reasons why they really struggled to understand that car. They were more concerned about sorting out the bumpiness rather than raw performance. This year, the car seems to be running a lot more smoothly. So I feel there should be more of an, uh, an upward trajectory with that understanding of the car. As Lean mentioned, the dialing in should be a lot easier. I, again, I don't think they'll reach Red Bull, but I still feel they'll be in a much better position this year to go for P2. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and you're right to point out the porpoising. I think that was a big issue. They just weren't able to run the car as low as they want, wanted to last season. This year, that doesn't seem to be as much of an issue. If anything... One team right now that is trying to run this car low and they just can't do it and it's causing the problems is Ferrari at the moment. And and that is quite a con. I mean, it's not a contrast to last year because that's what they were doing last year too. But this year, they're just really struggling with it even more compared to their rivals. So I think that brings us to the next topic of discussion. It was an interesting interview with George Russell, Autosport, I think it was, that put the question to him a couple of weeks ago in Spain. And it surfaced itself this week regarding driving standards And George Russell had a few interesting bits to say on this. And they asked him the question about driving standards. Does he think that there are drivers that do not drive or give space, I suppose, in the same way as others? Are there some drivers that are aggressive? And George had this to say. He said that we know each other and probably that does contribute to how we race one another. And that's usually to the drivers in general. And and for context as well, I should say this interview was in regards to Max Verstappen in that the implication was Max is being less aggressive now or has to doesn't need to be as aggressive as he used to be because he's in such a dominant car. Just for context, for those of you wondering. But he goes on to say, but equally, when you're battling for a championship, you fight slightly differently. And equally, now Max is probably less aggressive than he's ever been in the past because he's not in a position that he needs to be aggressive. And he can lose a position and he'll know that he'll get it back later down the line. Whereas we probably in a bit more of a do or die position now to get that one chance of victory throughout a season. Intriguingly, when asked about the importance of trust established with racing fellow F1 drivers, Russell suggested there were maybe three drivers on the grid who you wouldn't feel comfortable going against. He went to say, there's trust between most of the drivers, he added. I don't think those three unnamed racers have the spatial awareness of others. So actually you prefer fighting hard against the great drivers because you know that they're going to be able to control the car better and place it in hard positions, but not dangerous positions comparing with somebody who maybe isn't the same level as the best. So playing devil's called uh, devil's advocate here, guys, which three drivers do we think George Russell was referring to? Who wants to go first on that one and become controversial? Oh, <laughs> we all know who. Uh, well, first. let's eliminate the suspicion of who it, the question was directed towards. What about Max Verstappen in particular yeah. and his aggressiveness? And I think it's a fair point that Max is less aggressive this year, and he doesn't need to be as aggressive. I don't necessarily think that's just because he's got a dominant car. I do think there are other elements that 
you can attest to Maxi's uh, becoming more mature and more experienced and not throwing the car in there like he did in 2021 in certain cases against us against Hamilton for example I mean I think that's the only example I can think of because it was literally them two fighting each other all the time um compared to how it is now where obviously you can be a bit more methodical about things and knowing it's okay if you lose a place you'll get it back later on the other two all right I'll start it off just to make this easy I think one driver perhaps Russell's talking about possibly possibly Stroll and I think that not necessarily incidents with him but Remember last season, the incident with Fernando Alonso at Cota? That's that's probably one example. I know there's probably a few others that I can't really think of right now. And possibly Ocon as well. Yeah. I think what happened last week, uh, last time out in Spain. Um, and, and of course, for those of us that have followed Ocon's career, I know Ocon and Max had the incident in Brazil, which, you know, make your own mind up what you thought of that one in particular. <laughs> um, Ocon's previous battles with teammates like Alonso last season, the Alpine, Perez in the racing point all that time ago. Um, That's who I think Russell was probably talking about. Although I'm not putting words in Russell's mouth here. This is just drivers I'm thinking of. Um, What about you, Courtney? Yeah, I'm going to say Max, Max Verstappen, Esteban Ocon, and a third choice, I'm going to say Valtteri Bottas. Because we've seen a couple of naughty moments between these two. We know there's a whole political sort of uh, flames added to it over the Mercedes seat, but... There's been a couple of times, I know that most high-profile incident is Imola, but I've noticed a, a couple of times that uh, George Russell's got a bit wound up by Valtteri Bottas when there's been a little bit of a dicing on the circuit. So I reckon that he might be throwing a little bit of shade at Valtteri there. Yeah, maybe. I think there is a bit of irony with this with George Russell where they asked him this particular question, and you mentioned three drivers, because I've picked three people that if I was George Russell... And who I'd be thinking of. And this is my mind, not George Russell's mind. I'm tr- not trying to put words in his mouth. But the ironic thing is, I would probably argue that George belongs in that category as well to a degree. Um, the Bottas incident in Imola a couple of years ago, prime example of that. It took a while and for Total Wolf to basically convince George Russell that he was at fault for that incident when they reflected on that. And George wasn't pleased at the time, but I think a lot of us probably felt he was the one to blame. And last season... There were a few incidents, uh, particularly Singapore, I think was one that fr- freshly comes to mind, where he had a bit of a go with Magnussen, I think with Mick Schumacher as well, a few incidents there. So, as the a, USGP with Carlos yeah, Sainz. Carlos Sainz, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. How could I forget that one? Um, <laughs> yeah, but but this is my point. Like, I, I totally understand it, but I think it's a little bit ironic. Like You could probably throw George in that mix as well. Yeah, I, I mean, if you, if you ask this, as, instead of asking, News in the article was a referral. This is what George said, and you asked us name three drivers that um, don't have the spatial awareness and the trust in the other drivers in the grid. George will probably be in the come up in our conversation. Um, so I do agree with you on on that. That's the ironic that has come from George. Yeah, a little bit. But of course, I think George is like the lead representative for the Grand Prix Drivers Association at the moment, isn't it? So it's probably fair to talk to him about these things, about the, you know, inner driver agreements and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, a little bit ironic there on that one. But interesting to know. Uh, Let us know your thoughts, guys. Um, Which drivers do you think George Russell might have been referring to? Um, Be as controversial as you like, but be please be respectful. That's all I ask for if anyone disagrees with you. Um, Let's move on to the next one. And, And I think this is quite an interesting one because we just had last week the Le Mans 24 hour race. And as you can imagine, I did not expect my highlight of the season to be Ferrari winning at Le Mans as an F1 fan. But here we are. I'm taking it. It counts as a win. I'm taking that. It's probably the only chance I'm going to get to see Ferrari win this season. So I am claiming that. But what was impressive was that Antonio Giovinazzi was part of that winning team at Ferrari. So congratulations to him and the rest of the Ferrari teams. Great job at Le Mans in the hypercar series. The 100th anniversary as well. Um, And last time Ferrari were in that race in the hypercar 50 years ago, I think it was, they were on pole position as well. So, and, and I think they won that race as well. So, yeah, great stuff to them. But the question is regarding some former F1 drivers. Now, we mentioned Antonio Giovinazzi winning at Le Mans. Marcus Ericsson won the 2022 Indy 500 and led the last lap in this year's Indy 500 race, narrowly missing out for Joseph Newgarden to pip him at the end of that race. But the question is, 
Following Antonio Giovinazzi's Le Mans win for Ferrari and Marcus Ericsson's Indy 500 win in 2022, should F1 teams give drivers more time to shine before releasing them? And I know this is a loaded question because there's been a lot of talk around the futures of Nick DeVries at AlphaTauri. We had the issue with Mick Schumacher last year at Haas where he was replaced by someone more experienced and, of course, Logan Sargent's future as well at Williams. So what are your thoughts on this one, guys? Should F1 drivers be given more time? You know, this is something I was I've been thinking about quite um quite well for even mention this. And I, I feel that a current driver on the grid is gonna push to break the mould when it comes to uh driving other series. And I think that's gonna be Max Verstappen, you know. So I feel that Max Verstappen isn't just a big F1 fan. He's actually a massive motorsport fan in general. We've, he's he's made it clear that if he feels he gets bored, he'll get bored in F1. He'll try other challenges. And I feel he might, not challenge as such, but I feel he'll build, you know, such power within the team that he, he, we would imagine he'll be standing at Red Bull for a long time. But I feel we might ask Red Bull if he can like, take part in Le Mans, for example, halfway through the season. He'll probably get a resounding no. But I feel that Max could well be one of the first drivers to really break the mould in a very long time. Yeah, Possibly. I mean, it, it just depends on how long he stays in F1 for. You know, he's always talked about trying other things and, and maybe he will try other things in the future. We'll have to wait and see how that goes. What are your thoughts, Lee? Should F1 drivers that are struggling be given a bit more time to find themselves and shine in the sport? I mean, they they probably should be given at least a whole season, if not two, um, just to, under, to understand the car and obviously develop and learn. But the problem is obviously it's a high, um, it's an expensive sport. So there's a lot of money on the line and it's a business in the end of the day. So you, you've got to look after your business. And the other problem is we don't have enough teams for those young drivers. You think about exactly. even 15 years ago or even 20 years ago, you, you had the the smaller teams that they were they were never you know, going to be fighting for the championship. All right, you can argue Haas is never aiming to win a championship. I'm just putting that as an example. Um they may want to win a championship, but the they were never winning championship. They were there for because the, they enjoyed racing and they they enjoyed teaching these dri- young drivers and bringing them into the sport. Um, and we don't have that. It's all now money, money, money. You can't just bring drivers in um, to the sport. Obviously, you've got um, AlphaTauri, which is purposely there to bring in young drivers for the big team. Um, but that's only, that's an uh, exception, and then you think. Those two drivers you mentioned, Giovinazzi and um, Ericsson, obviously drove for Salva, although it's not a Ferrari young driver uh, team. Uh, obviously, it's how Alfa Romeo. It's very much been, in the recent memory, after the BMW days, a young driver team for Ferrari. You think of the Ferrari Academy drivers that went through that team, obviously, uh, George Banke, um uh, you know, he never drove for the. Uh, he well, see, he was in Manor, um, but he would. They were eyeing up moving him into Salva. They didn't make it. Um, yeah, Raikkonen obviously won Formula One World Championship, and he was driving for <laughs> before he joined. But <laughs> I was going to mention that. Um, and you, you got now you got Giovinazzi and an Italian winning in Ferrari, and I mean, look, Charles Leclerc can expect to win the championship fifty seven, so fifty year gap. It's he's got plenty of time (laughs) yeah I mean I mean Charles Leclerc was at Le Mans uh, that weekend he was watching over the race and they asked him if he wanted to have a go in the Ferrari hypercar one day at Le Mans and he's never made it no secret you know he's never hidden from the fact that that's what he's wanted to do I think on the subject of Giovinazzi and Ericsson I I don't feel that their success all of a sudden warrants a discussion where we really have to consider how much time we give F1 drivers before we can actually see if they're good enough or not. I think F1 is so unforgiving and the conveyor belt of talent is so quick that if you're not on it straight away and you're not ready, you never will be because you just will not be afforded the time to get ready with the exception of strange circumstances or exceptional circumstances like perhaps Lance Stroll, for example, who has one of the safest seats in the sports for, you know, we know why. But at the same time, 
those particular drivers were in Formula One for a reasonable amount of time. Giovinazzi was in the sport for a few years, did okay at Alfa Romeo and Sauber, but we know that he was a better qualifier than he was consistent in the race. That ultimately let him down. Ericsson was a decent driver, but he never had that star quality. You know, he was about on the level as what Roman Grosjean was when he was sort of deteriorating a little bit. And, you know, he was better than drivers like Felipe Nazza, for example. Charles Leclerc comes along in his first season and, you know, just makes Ericsson look ordinary. But because Leclerc is exceptional, not because Ericsson's rubbish. And then Giovinazzi wins the Le Mans, Ericsson wins the Indy 500. And I think... It's For me, I look at that and I don't look at them and think, oh, F1 should have given them more time or given them a chance. We would have seen them shine now. Technically speaking, Giovinazzi has never been fully out of the picture. Ferrari kept him on in a development role and he's been very valuable to them in that regard. They still have him and that's why he's in that hypercar. So, you know, Ferrari still see the value there. With Ericsson, I think he just proves that Formula One drivers that go into other series do tend to be successful more often than not. And we can extend the conversation further to other drivers like Sebastian Buemi, who's been a champion at Formula E. He's won multiple Le Mans races. He's arguably one of the most successful drivers in the World Endurance Championship. Fernando Alonso has done stints at Le Mans and won there. He had a go at the Indy 500 a few times. Very, you know, nearly won on his debut. If it wasn't for liability issues, he probably would have won that race maybe. So for me, I think it's just a testament to how good you have to be to get into Formula One. And I don't mean this to discredit drivers of other sports who are equally brilliant or what they do. But I think what we're seeing from Giovinazzi and Ericsson is not necessarily a sign that F1 needs to give their drivers more time to shine. I think it's just a fact that in order to get into F1, you have to be exceptional. And to stay in F1, you have to be even more exceptional. So I think in a way credit where credit's due to a lot of the drivers that are even struggling in F1 now because relatively speaking they're still phenomenally good and I think we have to give them more credit for that rather than say oh we should keep hold of them just in case they turn out to be a superstar if they're going to be a superstar you know they're going to be a superstar right now so do you, uh, add, yeah. do you add that caveat to crash or Maldonado as well completely absolutely goated he was ahead of his time the compilations just speak for themselves. Have a look on YouTube and just type in Pastor Maldonado compilation. You will not be disappointed. Absolute goated. He dominated the 2012 Spanish Grand Prix ahead of Fernando Alonso in a Ferrari competing for a championship in front of his home crowd in his backyard. Quite frankly, that is goated as it gets. So, uh, yeah, let's move on from that one. But let me know your thoughts, guys, on that particular topic. I think... We'll talk about one more thing before we move into the predictions because I'm being mindful of time. Let's talk about Williams. We haven't spoken about Williams mm-hmm. for a while. Interesting images surfaced following the Monaco Grand Prix regarding the Williams floor. Now, to cast your minds back, uh, minds back on this one, during the Monaco Grand Prix weekend, we saw a few incidents, one involving Lewis Hamilton, one involving Sergio Perez, where they both crashed out and their cars had to be hoisted onto the crane as they do in Monaco, which gave everybody and every onlooking photographer a golden opportunity to get some interesting snapshots of the floors. Now, we know with the modern F1 cars with ground effect, majority of the downforce is generated from the floor. So we got to see all of the little veins and all the little cuts and slots where all the vortices and all the downforce is being generated and how complex these floors really are. And then we saw the Williams of was it Alex Albon or I think it was Alex yeah I think it was Alex we saw the floor of the Williams and it looked incredibly basic in comparison and smooth as a baby's bottom yeah it it really (laughs) did I'm gonna put the I'm gonna try and put this on the screen if you can see this guys just to show you that the comparison you've got the one floor you've got the Williams floor and I think you've got the Red Bull Mercedes one I can't remember which one but um I mean what are your thoughts on that because the floors themselves we know how important they are in generating downforce in this modern era. And I know a lot of the teams, they do like to take snapshots of different aero parts from every single team to try and learn what works on some cars, try and adapt it to their own. The one area that they struggle to do this with is with the floors, which, you know, is the most significant part in generating downforce. So an opportunity like this is golden. I'm a little bit concerned that Williams probably got a cruel reality check 
to where they currently stand by looking at their floor and looking at what Red Bull and Mercedes have done by comparison. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it's an example of, uh, you know, it's what you do with it that counts. And uh, judging by the recent results of Williams, unfortunately, it's damning. They, they can't they can't even use that line to uh, get them out of hot water. Um, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I saw uh, some comments from James Vales today, actually. And he was saying that, you know, some of the facilities at Williams are 20 years behind the, the front runners. And, and I think that's just like the reality of where Williams are as a team. They their concepts are as basic as, as they come. They've got a hell of a lot of catching up to do. And we know how brutally competitive F1 is. So to see that floor on the Williams, it just shows how much work they've got to do like moving forward. If they really want to be a serious, you know, F1 team again. Yeah, very much so. Uh, what do you reckon, Lee? Because for me, I think whilst this is a concern for Williams, I think this is a great opportunity for them to realise what they need to do on their floors to improve them. And the contrast between Mercedes and Williams is night and day. I mean, with respect to Williams, it almost looks like F1 versus F2 in terms of the complexity of these floors. Yeah, it we a sharp learning curve in regards to... Actually, they may be thinking the floor wasn't too bad, and then seeing those floors, oh, that's painful to see. But you could say, oh, oh, it was terrible, smooth as baby's bottom. No one's going to copy Williams. But then you came out in the in Spain, then went for the Spanish Grand Prix. That Adrian Newey copied some flooring edging off the Williams car that caught his eye. So you, then they've, he's he's put that into his Red Bull um, concept. So you could say, oh, well, Williams floor is terrible; it doesn't generate downforce, but the goat of Adrian Newey has gone, oh, actually, that little uh, millimetre segment <laughs> over there is really interesting. I want that piece. So Williams are doing something, right? Because they're called Adrian Newey's eye. They just need to expand it to the whole um, concept or the floor. But they've got innovation there because they that little piece works. So it's just as the facilities may be limiting them. Um, the funding obviously is improving. I don't know if they're running at the budget cap um to be honest are they running at the budget cap is that no, a lot of, yeah i know a lot of the the back end of the teams now are running at the budget cap i don't know if williams are i'd be surprised the if they were but I, I mean if they were i'd be a bit surprised because it's almost like well, what are you spending your money on but um, um yeah but if they're not running at the budget cap obviously that's an issue as well um even if um teams like Haas and alfa romeo are running at the budget cap which they said they are this year so if they're the only one that's not running our budget cap, that's going to hurt them a lot in their resourcing as well as coordination facilities. So it's all pieces of the puzzle that still need to come together for Williams. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And uh, it, it's a good opportunity for Williams. You know, concern is not necessarily the right way of putting it. But I think when you're at the back, and Williams has made great progress from 2022, we have to give them credit where credit's due on this regard. I think the fact that something as much as the floor complexity, which generates a lot of the downforce, as we've said a few times already, by seeing that, they're going to learn so much from that. And they'll be able to apply those, you know, diagrams and pictures and, and veins and everything else that comes with a complex floor like the Mercedes or the Red Bull, for example, to their own car. They can make something work out of it. So... They've got to put a positive spin out of it and it's only going to serve them quite well. So, yeah, we'll see how it gets on for them. But, uh, yeah. That, and they've got plenty of yeah. CFD hours to run all the simulations they, they want. They certainly do. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly do. So, uh, yeah, best of luck to them on that one. And that's what we want to see. We want to see the, the smaller teams close up the gap. So maybe that's a way of doing it. Let's move on to the predictions. So as I said already, guys, if you're familiar with how we do things on the previews, we are now at the part where we give our predictions based on specific categories for this weekend's race and the first category that we are going to go to is the best surprise so this is usually reserved for who we think is going to produce the best surprise this weekend Courtney let's start with you who's producing the best surprise this weekend I'm mainly going to mention this name because I don't think he's been getting enough credit this season and I'm going to say uh, Zhou Guan Yu I like it I like it I think I think he's going to continue with this uh, impressive uh, form he's in. Um, he, he's really getting the best out of a car that doesn't offer a great deal, and I feel he's going to 
carry that. He's, he's been very consistent this year, and I think he's going to do it again this weekend and get some solid points for the team. Yeah, I'm I'm going to agree with you. I, I'm going to go with Joe Guan Yu as well. I was thinking about this, and I think his form's been very, very good. And, you know, it might be an opportunity to get some points this weekend. I think it's a driver that's been very much under the radar. But right now, he's outperforming his teammate Valtteri Bottas, who's supposed to be going for a bit of a redemption arc after what happened at Mercedes. It's never really happened this season for him. So I think we've got to put it down to, you know, the car's not great. But Joe is doing a great job regardless. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, and, and he got points, didn't he, last, last time mm -hmm. in Spain? So, there you I go. He finished ninth. I think. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he was great stuff with him and Yuki Sonoda in that race. So, yeah, absolutely agree. Lee, let's come to you. Who's your best surprise this weekend? I'm going to make the Canadian fans happy and say Stroll is going to be mm. the surprise. Um, and I'm going to bit put context on that. I, there is a... At the moment, at the time of recording, it's a higher chance that it's going to be a wet qualifying. And we know Stroll can be handy in a wet qualifying. It's his home Grand Prix. So I think he's going to be really on it and do a surprise result in qualifying uh, this weekend. Very interesting. I like the logic of it. Bring the Canadian fans to assess play to their interest. And who knows? It could be a good weekend for Stroll. He was pretty good in Spain. So, yeah, why not? Flop of the weekend. I'm going to come back to you, Lee. Who's your flop of the weekend? All right, don't hate me, Adam. But Charles Leclerc. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't hate you. I'm just disappointed. I mean, on the subject mm -hmm. of Leclerc, because we can get into this a little bit more, and this was a question I was going to bring up, but is Leclerc incredibly unlucky this season, or... Has he just underperformed or is it a bit of both? What are your thoughts? Because I'm looking at the stats here. Bahrain, DNF, reliability issues. Jeddah, 10 place grid penalty because of um, they had to make a change with the, was it the MGUH, I think it yeah. was, or the electronics. Australia, DNF, although to be fair, that was his own fault being a bit overzealous. Baku, failed to convert the pole into victory, but I think realistically speaking, that was his best weekend of the season by far finishing on the podium that weekend and two pole positions in the sprint in the main race. Miami crashed out in qualifying. Monaco, free place grid penalty for was impeding Norris in the tunnel. Yeah. And Spain starting from the pit lane, but he went out in Q1 and it was a setup issue because there wasn't any issues with the car from what Ferrari could see. So, you know, you talk all that up. It's very 2021-esque with Leclerc. You know, there's peaks and troughs, but... I personally feel it's a bit of both. I think he's been unlucky, but I also don't think he's been as good as he was last season by comparison. Yeah, the uh, his, his performance in Spain was interesting. I know he started, you know, further back, but he didn't quite carve his way through the field that, you know, we really expected. And, you know, we, we know the performance of the, you know, the midfield cars are closer to the front, but you still think that, you know, Leclerc would have that little bit of stardust to... You know, we've always mentioned that stardust that he has, and it wasn't really on show. We know the Ferrari was really struggling with degradation, um, but yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was a tad disappointed. He, he does need to uh, need to up his game, but I think at the same time he needs to have a couple of smooth weekends in order for that to happen. But where he gets that's another matter. Mm, very true, and. Yeah, I mean, you, you can put the case to say Charles Leclerc has been unlucky on its own, and and I understand that. But my counterpoint would be, well, Carlos Sainz has been having issues too. You know, Leclerc's not the only one struggling right now. And Leclerc's meant to be the guy that has the better feel and the more consistency. But right now, Carlos Sainz is, at the very least, he's the one delivering the points right now. He's being consistent. He hasn't qualified outside the top five this season. And his, finish, his finishing positions have been pretty good too. So I do think you can't just label this all at Ferrari. I think Leclerc has been underperforming. So I totally understand, Lee, why you think he might flop this weekend, as much as I'd hate to admit it. Yeah, all right. well, I, 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 on your question, I do think agree with you. I think it's a bit of both. Um, but yeah, yeah, Charles is my fault for the weekend. I think he's going to struggle with the upgrades that they brought and getting that perfect setup. And he's going to be behind Carlos the entire weekend. Mm. Someone needs to give the kid a hug and just tell him everything's going to be okay. But um, isn't that supposed to? Isn't that why they brought for uh, for Zerin? 
well maybe that's what he's <laughs> yeah. going to be doing and say it's going to be okay here's a red ball drive that you might be happy mm. i don't know <laughs> sorry ferrari fans i mean i'm one of you but uh yeah it's bleak right now courtney cheer me up who's going to be flop of the weekend this weekend and don't say leclerc please uh my one my my one's a bit boring i don't think it's really going to inspire many people i'm going to say de Vries. uh he's generally speaking he has been it's been disappointing like when he had these um you know he had a couple of test uh practice sessions last season and when he was it williams that he had to think his italian grand prix he had a last minute call up yeah. and he and he did a solid job and he's you know he's he's already he's already an f2 champion formula e champion and he really hasn't delivered to the levels that most of us expected. And again, I just expect we're, we're we're going into a part of the season now where trends tend to build up, and I just feel it was going to be another rubbish weekend for him. Yeah, I mean, he had a decent weekend in Spain. He was much more on the pace, but I think Spain is a circuit he's much more familiar with, so perhaps that explains it. Um, but I suppose we'll see. I mean, Sonoda was brilliant, so you know we'll have to wait and see. My flop of the weekend. Valtteri Bottas you know we talked about this already but I just feel right now there's always something else going wrong I think he was saying there was damage to the floor after the race which cost him a few tenths of a second I'm thinking it's always something not it's the mullet well yeah maybe <laughs> someone said to me the other day and it's really stuck with me with Bottas at the moment there seems to be a trend that the funnier and more interesting Bottas becomes on social media the worse he is getting as a driver. Now, I mean this humorously. I don't mean this seriously. Obviously, I'm not saying Bottas has become mid all of a sudden whilst he's hilarious. But with Ricardo gone, that mantle of that entertaining social media presence in the F1 world is missing something. It needs that void filled. And for some reason, Bottas has asserted himself into that position, whether he meant to or not, as probably that guy to a degree. But at the same time, it has come to the detriment of his driving. I'm not suggesting the two are linked here, but someone mentioned it to me the other day. And I feel like there is something to it right now. Maybe he needs to go back to having the buzz cut, get rid of the mullet, and then maybe he's going to be great. But to be honest, I think he looks so cool at the moment. I honestly wouldn't really begrudge him either way. Maybe he's taking lessons from Kimmy um, about how to be the cool, <laughs> the cool Finn F1 driver. Laid back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe Valtteri needs to evolve in that regard. He hasn't gone quite to I don't give an F status like Kimi just yet. I don't think anyone quite could do that. But uh, yeah, I do worry for Valtteri. I just, for whatever reason, I just think it's hard to get massively invested in what's going on at Alfa Romeo because it, it's going through a transition. And the likelihood is Valtteri is not going to be there to see the end of it when it be fully becomes Audi. And I can totally understand perhaps why he's just going through the motions. I hope I'm wrong. I think F1 is much richer when Valtteri is doing well in the midfield. But uh, yeah, at the moment, Joe is definitely the shining light in that Alfa Romeo team right now. Pole position is something a bit more cheery. Who are we going with for pole position? I'll start off. Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen. Snap. (laughs) Should we try this again, lads? The race winner this weekend. (laughs) Three, two, one. Max Verstappen. Oh, we've got to get the timing right on that. We've got plenty more opportunities this season to perfect the timing on this one. So we're going Max to win the race and on pole position. No surprises there. The guy is just absolutely awesome right now. The car is awesome. Uh, it's going to take something monumental. I think we can all agree for that to change at the moment. So uh, we'll move on to the podium. And uh, this will get interesting. So I'm going to start this one. I'm going to go Hamilton P2, Alonso P3. I think we're going to have an all-champions podium this weekend. Lee, let's go to you. Yeah, I've got the podium of champions in the exact same order. Oh, cool. Nice. Are we free for free? Uh, Again, I'm going to be a bore. Um, I'm going with a Red Bull 1-2. Reason I'm going for a Red Bull one two is um we know that Canada is a DRS happy circuit and that DRS overkill that bugs me so much is gonna be in full effect. And I think even if Perez had a dodgy Saturday, he'd just be able to play F1 on easy mode and tail behind Max. And I think that Lewis Hamilton will surprise, surprise, will end up in third. 
it's an interesting one with Perez because whilst I completely agree that that is possible with him, I think what we saw in Spain was a stark reminder that as good as that Red Bull is right now, you still have to drive it pretty well in order to get the most out of it. And I think what surprised a lot of us was the fact that Perez and Russell started quite close to each other in that race. And Russell had Perez beat all hands up in an inferior car. So it does raise the question, um, you know, can Perez deliver on that? I'm sure he will. But uh, I'm I'm with you, Lee. I like my podium better. I think that looks pretty cool. So uh, I guess I hope you're right. I hope you you guys are right. I I really do. Yeah, well, that's it. Alonso's had five podiums out of six this season. I'm hoping this isn't a trend where he stops getting on the podium and we've had our fun now. But uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Moving on to best of the rest. So this category is for the best finisher that isn't driving a Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes or Aston Martin in no particular order. Courtney, let's go to you first. I'm going to say again, my predictions are really boring this week. I'm saying Esteban Ocon. I feel that um, I feel that Alpine have established themselves as best of the rest. And I feel that Ocon at this stage of the season is getting the better of, uh, at the car at the two drivers. Yeah, I like that. I've gone with Gasly um, just to change it up a little bit. I went with Ocon mm-hmm. last time out. I'm convinced it's going to be the Alpines, one of the two. And I think Gasly, he had a great, he had, a, you know, he was doing a pretty good job um, recently. I'm just going to go with him just to flip a coin between the two. Lee, what do you reckon? Um, to make it a hat trick of Alpine lines, um, <laughs> it's Esteban Ocon for me. Yeah. Well, at least we're different in some regards. But yeah, I'm pretty certain it's going to be one of them too. Um, I, I was asked the other day, realistically, do I think Alpine could possibly catch Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship? And, um, you know, Ferrari being the team out of the big four right now that seem to be struggling the most. Alpine making gains as they are. Is it possible? You know, they're not too far behind Alpine. You know, maybe they could catch Ferrari if Ferrari perhaps prioritised 2024 in the way they did with 2022. Well, they might, they might uh, start, Ferrari might sort of give away championship position for some more wind tunnel time next season. It might be a strategy. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I mean, they come, what was it, sixth in 2021, wasn't it? Or 2020, they come sixth. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and they put a lot of that into 2022 and it started off well, but they just couldn't develop as the season went on or they went down the wrong concept route. So yeah, we'll see. Um, okay, so final prediction, bold prediction. Double points on this one. Nice bold prediction. So, Courtney, I want you to go first on this one. What's your bold prediction for the Canadian Grand Prix this weekend? I'm going to back my boy Lando Norris again. I'm going to say he's going to get the best out of the car. So, I think he'll finish. I think he'll finish in between the Alpine drivers. So, I feel he's going to be... So, you'll have the, uh, the top teams that we've already mentioned. Then Ocon followed by Lando Norris. Interesting. Lee, what's your bold prediction? Max makes contact with the Wall of Champions. Well, this was going to this was exactly what I was thinking, not Max Verstappen, but I was going to say uh one of the three world champions on the grid is at some point is going to crash into the Wall of Champions. Um so uh I'd, I I I mean, would you accept that? It's a bit of a variation on yours, Lee, but mine's a bit more scope for how to happen. So uh, what do you reckon? Uh, well, I say according to side because it's very similar to mine. In I'll tell you what, should we both have that then? One of the three champions or would you rather have just Max? Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I, I reckon Max will do it. But it'll happen in a practice session. It'll get the mistake out of the way early. Are we talking about the race itself? Oh, no, 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 because he's got to win the race. If he crashes, I mean... Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I said make contact, but didn't he, he, Even... it's a DNF or a race ending Oh, okay, result. then. All right, so you say Max makes contact with the Wall of Champions. Okay. And I think Courtney and I will have to, if it does happen, we'll have to determine how heavy the contact yeah. needs to be. For I'm, I'm going to say he's going to have a, a, a heavy hit, but he's going to do it in practice. And yeah. then he'll just, he'll just turn on that switch that we all know he has. He'll get, he'll get the mistake out of the way in practice and then he'll be unbeatable after that. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, mean, I don't even think Max Verstappen could win a Grand Prix after smashing it into the wall of champions. He'll it's find a, a way. <laughs> I mean, I know Lewis won a race with three wheels, but, you know, yeah. relatively speaking on the last lap, I don't think Max would be able to quite manage the same feat under that kind of circumstance. It'd be a bit 
that would be an achievement in its own right. Although Max has got such an advantage over everyone else right now, he probably could do it on three wheels at the moment. Um, okay, that's fair enough. I, I will go with any one of those three to crash and bin it completely in the Wall of Champions. And Lee, you can just have contact with Max in there. But, but I think that's all we've got time for, guys, on this one. A lot of content that we covered in that one and some interesting predictions as well let us know your thoughts guys on the topics we discussed and also let us know your predictions as well as i said already if you're listening to this show after you've given us a five-star review head over to youtube let us know in the comments your predictions for this weekend so uh until then guys thank you so much for tuning in as always stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast and remember as always if you're not first you're probably dnf1 take care Podcast Network.